Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. Next month, the world will mark the 20th anniversary of 9-11, the most momentous event of this century so far. The simultaneous attack on American targets massacred almost 3,000 innocent victims and caused two military conflicts in both Afghanistan and Iraq, which is one way or another still persistent. This was the most blatant example of Islamic terror perpetrated by non-state actors, in this case Al-Qaeda, and in others, the Islamic State, alongside a long list of other groups. If there is terror in the world today, its Islamic variant is not alone in spreading its evil, but it is surely the most abundant and dangerous. To give us a status report on the global fight against Islamic terror, we're joined elsewhere here in Israel by Dr. Neil Bombs, who is a research fellow at the Moshe Dayan Center, Tel Aviv University. Thank you for joining us. I'd like also to uh, welcome Mr. Amir Oren, Thank you. our TV7 analyst and host of uh, TV7's Watchmen Talk. Amir, give us a broader understanding on the, the term Islamic terror and the fact that it is the most vocal challenge for regional stability, but also for global. So as you mentioned, uh, Islamic uh, terrorists do not have a sheer monopoly on uh, terror acts uh, perpetrated today. There are extreme right-wing groups and others, but nevertheless, the uh, major part of terrorism activity in the world today uh, can be uh, related to um, Islamic terrorists. Now, of course, there are Sunnis and Shiites, uh, there are lone wolves and uh, usually those affiliated with various uh, Islamic organizations. But if one uh, looks uh, a bit from afar, taking uh, a perspective, one may say that uh, the last 20 years, the 20th anniversary of 9-11, has been uh, relatively quiet. Yes, there were uh, mega uh, terror attacks, there were massacres in many Western capitals and other cities and uh, tourist resorts. But the worst fears that uh, we all had 20 years ago did not materialize. And the worst fears were the nexus of terrorist organizations, Islamist terrorist organizations, with uh, terror hosting countries, and especially with weapons of mass destruction. The idea that Al-Qaeda or later, later ISIS, which started as an offshoot, then became a rival, or one of the many uh, other smaller organizations can get their hands on nuclear weapons or even biological or chemical weapons. And because they have no qualms, and uh, to the contrary, they want uh, to... Uh, uh, throw havoc uh, in civilian population uh, areas, they may very well uh, do what the uh, Japanese did some uh, 25 years ago, um, try to blow up a chemical uh, device or 
even uh, a radioactive one, this did not come to pass. What we do have is a persistent threat of many groups, now perhaps more in Africa than in other continents, but they transform, they can find uh, their way elsewhere. ISIS came and went. Uh, one may ask whether it was a terrorist organization or even a sort of a state without uh, any particular territory. So uh, what started with bin Laden and uh, his uh, uh, lieutenants, the Zarqawis and others uh, of the world, is now less than it was 20 years ago, but nevertheless still a threat with foreign fighters, with prisoners yet to be released and go back into their societies. The uh, world, and especially the West, still have their work cut out for them. Even though not using or utilizing weapons of mass destruction, thank the Lord, uh, we do see uh, the, the Islamist organizations utilizing a colonizing idea of going into the West, colonizing the West for that matter, by means of mass immigration, and beyond that, also trying to convert as many as people possible to Islam. Uh, if we look at all of the intelligence reports, which I tried to do before today's program, uh, the level 405 was put in most European countries, for instance. And then we see that uh, within that factor, we see the so-called radical right, the so-called radical left, uh, confronting each other over the, the question of Islamist, uh, Islamists, uh, Salafist organizations, Muslim Brotherhood, which is financed primarily by Kuwait, Turkey, and Qatar for Europe in particular. And uh, the intelligence communities are warning the governments about this factor, but not enough is being done because the question is legal. How can we deal with such a thing? So, so this uh, pertains to two overlapping issues. One is that the terrorists know how to use democracy against itself, using democratic uh, institutions and mechanisms in order to protect themselves uh, because they have legal rights. And uh, the other issue is that many countries, especially the United States, were slow in understanding that this is not a law enforcement issue, but rather a national security one. Indeed. Uh, I'd like to bring Dr. Bones into the conversation. Uh, to what degree do you see the patterns of, uh, and we're talking now on the Middle East, a regional scale, um, actually encouraging mass immigration towards the West in order to uh, so-called colonize the West, uh, which is a term openly used in, in uh, the region, uh, something that they don't shy away from, but then again, the West doesn't know how to handle this situation. Yeah, true, and uh, just like uh, my colleague uh, just said, uh, these are other issues involved. We were looking at 20 years to uh, September 11, and we began to uh, understand the meaning of terrorism, so an act of terrorism we usually refer to it as an act of uh, targeted killing of innocent civilians for political purposes. And then we looked at the act of terrorism as something that's done by a renegade group, usually a non-state group. And then, as uh, we've seen the reality is certainly here in the Middle East, we've came to the realization that uh, uh, these uh, acts are done by terrorist groups are not always renegated, and often they're actually proxies, they're actually funded. Uh, by uh, states, certainly in the Middle East, uh, on the one hand by Iran, 
uh, from the Shia side, groups like uh, Hezbollah or Islamic Jihad, and then other countries, uh, including Qatar and Turkey, that was supporting uh, other groups uh, on the Sunni side. We've seen a lot of that happening during, for example, the time of the Syrian war, something that began as a Syrian uprising and then soon uh, grown to be uh, uh, an ethnic proxy war. And the proxy they mentioned, that they mentioned a foreign uh, intervention, foreign fighters recruited by countries to uh, create uh, that supported uh, uh, military groups that acted uh, in the way of terrorism became part and parcel of this situation. As uh, the result of it, of course, uh, in, in Syria was that every um, second person lost their home and every third person became a refugee. That uh, was not just about ideology, it was really person function of the, uh, the fact that all stability uh, was lost just like the infrastructure of the majority of the country, similar uh, phenomena we've seen in Yemen. Now we're seeing some of that also in Lebanon, the country that already was a home uh, for over a million uh, Syrian refugees. And of course, all of that uh, had uh, continued uh, with uh, a flow uh, of uh, refugees to Turkey and then to Europe and then from Africa directly to Europe. Uh, and this was a function. Uh, of uh, this new phenomenon that we've seen of failed states and the fact that the old order uh, was replaced by a new disorder uh, that uh, in turn brought a lot more of these uh, uh, groups into uh, the, uh, uh, the fora and into the uh, front lines of all of these conflicts. So while I agree uh, with uh, Amir that uh, we have not seen uh, uh, this doomsday scenario of weapons of mass destruction uh, in the hands of uh, terrorist groups. We have certainly seen more terrorism. We've seen more terrorist groups and more proxy terrorist groups that are really function uh, as another uh, uh, instrument of states to bring about uh, uh, lack of stability. And in the Middle East, have seen a lot of it, uh, up to the point that it, it really influenced the entire dynamic of the last uh, decade, the decade that began as the Arab Spring and then very quickly changed its season. And now, uh, it's a region that is struggling for to find the paths of survival uh, and, and, and restoring stability in a number of countries. Uh, and uh, th this this decade that is still just at the beginning uh, is marked an attempt by some of the stable, more stable countries, and certainly the push from the Gulf uh, to figure out how we can fight this, fight this ideologically, fight this in, by, by means of, of military means, and try to bring about some stability to the countries uh, that uh, allow some of this activity and, and in some ways curtailing some of the activities of these proxy groups, try to send them out um, and again restore some degree of law and order, uh, which is a key uh, to, to fight this particular challenge. That's without even speaking about other challenges that we've seen uh, in Europe uh, uh, of uh, white supremacy and other trends that appear more in the West. Unfortunately, in the Middle East, uh, the dynamic of uh, uh, radicalism, uh, terrorism-related uh, funded proxy coming both from the Shia side, from Iran, and from the Sunni side is still very much prevalent and is still the key for the lack of stability in the region. With that being said, Mr. Olin, when we're looking at uh, the situation in the Middle East, we have state actors who are sponsors of various proxies. Some may call them proxies, other terrorist organizations. But the fact of the matter is they do terrorize 
the communities that they surround. They do terrorize anything in their way in order to achieve the goals which they are paid to do with no ethics or, or Geneva conventions to hinder their efforts of uh, bringing about the final result. When we're looking currently at uh, the various countries at play, obviously, we immediately think about uh, the Islamic Republic of Iran, which has significant amount of proxies. And then we have also Qatar and Turkey, who are also in the same playing field on the Syrian front, on the Libyan front and elsewhere. Uh, to what degree do we see this becoming more of a uh, understanding between regional actors that if a state goes to war, it will be internationally scrutinized. But look at Iran. It's maybe internationally scrutinized, but it's continuing its uh, agenda without true hindrance to its end goals. And that is bringing about its revolutionary policies into various countries throughout the region. There is some confusion in the terms we are using. When uh, we speak about terrorists, we can uh, mean either the uh, actor, that is a group of terrorists, or the form or means using terror the way uh, Nierbaum's just uh, described. Now, states, nations um, have accountability at their doorstep. They are members of the United Nations. They are supposed to uh, comply with some code of conduct, and uh, they can be sanctioned, uh, condemned, uh, what have you which is why they are using proxies. And the proxies need not be terrorists. Uh, the Soviet Union used some of uh, its uh, Eastern European uh, allies in the Warsaw Pact. If it didn't want to fight itself, it still has the Wagner Group and other uh, mercenaries. Um, and uh, the other side, uh, too, knows how to use uh, uh, people who, who you cannot... Um, actually relate to the sender. So that in itself, the, the uh, use of proxies uh, doesn't mean that one is a terrorist. If you take the uh, example of the uh, PLO, the Palestine Liberation Organization, and that is because Israel is perhaps the world's uh, top expert in living with terrorism. Uh, when Syria wanted uh, to fight Israel, but not in a full-fledged war in the 60s, in a sort of a popular war they copied from Mao Zedong or from uh, North Vietnam, they had their own Palestinian group, a SAICA. The PLO, on the other hand, tried to work through the cracks of failed states like Lebanon or in less governed areas uh, around the border. And, of course, other terrorists then copied this uh, example. Right now, what you have are terrorists. The, the most menacing terrorist group for Israel is not operating against Israel. It is operating in the Sinai against the Egyptian regime, which is why the governments of Israel and Egypt are cooperating in fighting against uh, this group whether you uh, call it uh, Bet al-Magdas or, or uh, the... Uh, Ansar Bet al-Magdas. Ansar Bet al-Magdas. Or, or, or the uh, Sinai district of uh, ISIS. The, Israel is not uh, directly threatened right now. It's more of a nuisance. But if friendly regimes are to fall under the pressure of terrorists, either in Jordan or in Egypt, 
Israel's national security will be in danger. Indeed. With that being said, uh, Dr. Bombs, when we're looking at Syria, at least, we see the theater of thousands of jihadist organizations, Salafist organizations, from Al-Qaeda to Jabhat al-Nusra, which is an Al-Qaeda-linked group, to uh, the uh, Islamic uh, State, or Daesh, uh, which ultimately lost a battlefield, lost the various territories that were under its control, withdrew based on various agreements to a bastion of jihadists, basically, in the Idlib uh, governorate, and then uh, formed some kind of uh, a merged organization of multiple groups called Tahrir al-Sham and uh, various uh, organi- small organizations that basically are under its uh, protection, but the leader of that specific organization is still Al-Julani, the same leader of Jabhat al-Nusra, which was so famous or notorious for its deadly activities at the beginning of uh, the conflict or uh, beginning until the middle of the conflict on the Israeli border and against the regime, of course. And then uh, you ask yourself, why does the international community protect that territory that is infested with such jihadist groups and has so many people, and of course, uh, Turkey is also protecting them, and various organizations in the region are protecting them, including non-governmental organizations that try wholeheartedly to set aside their aspirations to establish world dominance of uh, the uh, Salafist, Islamist uh, ideologies to the fact that there are also human beings that need to have food, that need to have uh, water to drink, and can't understand that this doesn't really work together. Well, Jonathan, uh, you ask uh, a very good question, and it's almost as uh, good of a question to the question we used to ask about uh, six years ago and the height uh, of uh, ISIS presence in Syria and Iraq. And we were wondering how can it be that uh, a small group of people, not a professional army, uh, supported by uh, Toyota trucks uh, turned into uh, improvised military vehicles, is able to live uh, despite of the fact that there is a whole global coalition against them that is not able to uh, uh, simply, with uh, one coordinated uh, and orchestrated attack, just take them out in the sun. Uh, and I think part of uh, this is the fact that uh, the international community, whoever this may be, this very effusive, even when it comes under a, a coalition, uh, is not very keen to send uh, Western soldiers uh, to fight uh, Middle Eastern wars, especially when there is a, an understanding that uh, you don't necessarily want just to bomb them because there are many civilians involved. And then what you need to do is to actually send your soldiers uh, in the front lines, and that's something that uh, many uh, militaries are not very keen on doing. So uh, they are looking for some help and some arrangements to try to minimize this. This is why the uh, Islamic State uh, took quite some time to be defeated. This is why we still have these uh, very strange arrangements uh, in uh, uh, Idlib, uh, in the northern uh, uh, part of uh, uh, Syria, uh, because it's perhaps it's more convenient to uh, curtail the conflict into a particular spot rather than to try to get your dirt, your hand into uh, into the swamp uh, and uh, try to deal uh, with uh, the results. Of it. Uh, we have strange bedfellows. I mean, you know, if we're coming back to our own backyard, we've seen that Israel 
uh, is working with Qatar uh, to have some degree of influence uh, over another terrorist groups that controlled Gaza, Hamas, and Qatar has been involved uh, in actually creating uh, uh, that uh, same group and, and, and supporting it. Uh, and you have a very strange balance, which uh, emanates from the fact that uh, there is not much enthusiasm to try and uh, create another military escalation that in turn will get violent, will hurt uh, civilians, um, and will produce uh, difficult uh, pictures for many to digest, and of course casualties uh, not just on the Gaza side, but also, let's say, on the Israeli side or, or on the coalition side in the case of Syria. So that's broadly is the uh, the answer. Um, and uh, in, in a way, uh, you know, perhaps we have another analogy that we can use. Uh, terrorism indeed has uh, uh, diminished, at least uh, if you're looking at the, some of the terrorism uh, reports, the terrorism trends reports that are being published, and they're looking at the number of uh, those who are uh, killed by terrorist attacks from year to year. It's still influenced, in the last report I've seen, 63 countries had uh, uh, at least casualties from terrorist incidents. That's not something uh, that's a third of the countries in the world. Uh, certainly a number of Western countries have seen it. Um, and although the numbers are dwindling, we are living with the phenomena. So perhaps it's not corona uh, in its very early days, with before the vaccines, when we uh, we really faced a pandemic and faced for a second the whole out collapse, now we're saying, okay, it's here to stay. We just need to learn to live with it. And in some ways, I think that this is what we're seeing. Uh, with that being said, I'd like to correct this. It's not that terrorism has diminished. It is that reports of terrorism and putting a focal point on those. Uh, various terror organizations that are operating quite relentlessly in Africa and Asia and elsewhere are not as open in the, the mainstream media than it, it used to be in the past. But Mr. Owen, is there a fatigue among uh, people uh, with regard to the, the various challenges that are so crucial today, especially for the Western civilization and like-minded nations on the norms and values that we're uh, so keen on preserving to a certain degree, it seems that attacks are relentless and continuous. Uh, and it, it doesn't seem like it's going nowhere. And, and living with it is, uh, unfortunately, in my opinion at least, it's not a good enough answer. We can't live with terrorism and we need to defeat it. So take the Americans as the leaders of the so-called free world. Up until 9-11 the uh, terrorist attacks that they absorbed were not at home, were not uh, directed at the homeland, um, and they saw it as a force protection problem. Uh, when the marine barracks uh, in Beirut uh, were bombed with 241 uh, casualties, uh, it was a military presence far from home on some distant shore in uh, Lebanon. By Hezbollah, it's important to know, directed by Iran. Yes, but, but uh, this was less important to the American public. Hobart Towers in Saudi Arabia, the USS Cole, the destroyer in the port of Aden. These were military targets, and this is part of the risk that men in uniform take upon themselves. It didn't concern the American public so much. When it really hit home on 9-11, uh, um, uh, in the worst attack since Pearl Harbor, then they started looking at it 
differently. And regarding the fatigue which you are referring to, it's a sad fact of life that liberal democracies fight terrorism less effectively than dictatorships do. You refer to Hezbollah and, uh, and Beirut. At the same time, there were attacks against Soviets. Soviet diplomats were abducted. The Soviets immediately retaliated by doing the same to whomever they considered the perpetrators. And the message got through. Now, one does not recommend using the same cruel, barbaric, indiscriminate methods. But if you take targeted assassinations, which when Israel started doing them, many people uh, did not uh, look too fondly on. But later on, when it uh, uh, seemed to be an effective tool, as in the case of Qassam Soleimani and other terrorist leaders, because they have to run for cover themselves, bin Laden had to, to hide for 10 years and others, it takes away energy from offensive operations. Many other countries, several other countries and the coalition started emulating the Israeli example. Indeed. Uh, well, we're drawing near to the end of the program, but... Uh, I'd like to ask you a final question, Dr. Bums. When our viewers right now are watching from the West, what is the key factor that they should uh, be concerned about, for that matter, uh, with regard to the West's response to, to the various challenges when we're talking about Islamic terrorism being ultimately also driven towards the West by state actors and non-state actors? I think it's important to remember that the terrorist act, uh, is act begins with an ideology. It begins with an idea. And it begins with an influence that, uh, if it's state-sponsored, uh, then it's something to pay attention to, uh, because this is very much what we're dealing now with when we're dealing, for example, with the JCPOA uh, with Iran and with other policies uh, when it comes to the Middle East. Uh, it's important to work uh, with allies and states uh, that have uh, taken the lead uh, in rejecting these uh, uh, ideologies, in fighting groups like the Muslim Brotherhood, and certainly those who are uh, to the right and to the left of them uh, um, were needed, and certainly the issue of Iran. Uh, these are uh, important issues because these are not just conceptual issues or just a nuclear issue. This is really uh, has to do with our own lives uh, and the global war on terrorism, uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, has not uh, ended yet. You, you know what the uh, uh, most important competition is uh, to the terrorists today? The drone, the UAV, because a terrorist is a carrier of explosives into some population center. If a drone can do it without anyone getting in the way, some of the countries and proxies uh, are considering doing that. And comprehension, of course, by authorities to understand, for instance, the Salafis are regarded as extreme danger uh, and threat to society, but the Muslim Brotherhood are not at the same level at this stage. They need to start leveling the understanding of what they're dealing with. But this is all the time that we have for today. I'd like to thank Dr. Booms and Mr. Owen for being part of today's program and to thank our viewers as well. And we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.